Good morning, Crossbridge family, and welcome to Crossbridge Online. It's so good to be with you today. And if you're a guest with us, I especially want to welcome you and just say thank you so much for joining us and to let you know that my hope for you is the same as for every single person who joins us online and listens and, and engages in our services. And that's simply this. No matter where you find yourself today, I hope and I pray that you would be able to take one step towards Jesus because it's what we're all about here at Crossbridge. And, and you've come to us in week two of our series that we're going, to, going through on the 40 days of prayer. And as we approach this series, for those of you who joined us last week, and uh, I encourage you to sign up for the daily reminders from uh, the national office in our Christian Missionary Alliance denomination, uh, I got lots of texts saying like, I didn't get my email, I didn't get my reminders. And I need to tell you, I, I, I felt your frustration a little bit. And what we realized was it was a PDF that kind of laid out all seven days. And I'm not sure if I read it wrong, interpreted it wrong. It probably was on me, but that's fine. So what we've done is made sure that we have those PDFs to send out to you as a church. So you'll be able to find them uh, coming to you in an email this afternoon or tomorrow so that you are ready for the week ahead. And we're doing everything we can to make our times of prayer as easy as they could be. And it's funny as we talk about prayer, people talk about prayer like it's so easy, don't they? They just kind of um, make it, you know, it is what it is. And I saw this week in post after post after post about praying for our nation. After all that went down in DC this uh, week, I, I, which let me just be candid with you as Crossbridge family, I don't really care what political affiliation you have. I love that our church is made up of all different, um, you know, people who have all different opinions while we can all put our trust in Jesus. And I don't care what your affiliation is, but um, breaking and entering is not the Jesus way. It doesn't matter if it's across the bridge in Philadelphia, down the river in DC or Seattle, none of that matters. Um, it's illegal and, and when you disobey Romans 13 and the government, this is sin. So it's not a party thing, this is a sin thing. But as I sat there, I saw post after post about praying, let's pray, let's pray. And maybe at the risk of disappointing you a little bit, I, I felt called to pray, but I didn't, I didn't really know how to pray this week. In that moment, I, I didn't know exactly what I was supposed to be praying for because I had so many different opinions and thoughts and feelings, some that were really angry, some that were pretty passive. And the truth is I had no real clarity of mind and heart. So when everyone kept saying, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray, I didn't, I didn't even know where to go with that. But people made it seem so easy. If prayer is so easy, then why are there so many books written about it? Why, if prayer is so easy, am I constantly thinking, am I doing this wrong? Am I connecting with God wrong? Because I, sometimes I find when I pray, I'm, I'm having trouble connecting with God. Sometimes I don't even know what that means. What does it mean to connect with God in prayer? Does anybody else besides me find praying hard? Please, come on, you gotta let me know. This is when we use those emojis, that hands up, that amen emoji, that means I agree. Does anybody else there out there have trouble praying sometimes? 
If you're with us at our live watch party at the uh, Classy Cow this morning, it's probably awkward because I'm sitting in the room with you with a mask. But if you have trouble praying, go ahead and just look at me and give me a hearty amen right now. I hear that amen. So, you know, listen, I get how difficult this could be. And what I'm most thankful for is that I'm not alone but that also is very concerning to me that we, we all embrace the idea that prayer is hard. And one of the biggest tensions and experiences um, that, that come my way that I hear about is people feeling like they just cannot connect with God when they pray. Like, like there's something in the way of our connection wondering when I'm praying, is this hitting the ceiling? Is God hearing what I'm saying? Is he really listening to the words that are coming out of my mouth and is what I'm saying, getting through to him. We all know this feeling. And to be honest with you, we, we know it better than we think, especially in 2020 and 2021. Um, we see it play out in our physical relationships. Let me explain to you what I mean. Now, I, I'm personally a very visual person. I like to see everyone's face it makes a difference to me when we connect. I like to see how your cheeks move and your mouth smiles. Sometimes if your eyebrows are telling me something different than your mouth is, I can tell if you're lying to me. I like that kind of stuff. Now, we can all agree that when we get together with people and we have our social distance and our masks and we're looking at each other, it's hard to connect, isn't it? There's something in the way. And now this block that is here gets even harder because could you imagine now just for a second? The other thing that tends to separate us is the fact that I know you don't wear goggles when you talk to people that you know of, but the reality is you see the world through a different lens than someone else does. And now when you're approaching someone, there's a barrier that maybe you're looking through that they can't see and, and there's the masks that are going on. And we then, why not just keep going, right? In our conversations with people, we have these noise canceling headphones that we put on where we hear the things that we want to hear. We set our phones up and our iPads up to, to, to hit the podcast, the voices that we want that affirm who we are, the voices that we hear of our family, politicians, pastors, scripture. Could you, could you imagine a conversation like this with me? Do you think that you would feel like you and I are connecting? Do you feel like we're connecting now or is this frustrating to you? It's frustrating to me, but what if, one extra layer came into play. And now, I, I'm having trouble seeing you. I don't know if you're having trouble seeing me. But in every one of our conversations with each other, sometimes it's hard to connect because there's, there's invisible barriers that we put in between each other of the baggage that we carry all the time. How do you feel like a conversation like this would go? It would be horrible, wouldn't it? It'd be the worst. And the barriers that we carry like this, we don't want it with each other. But unfortunately, when it comes into our conversations with God, we don't necessarily want to hear him. We see him through our own lenses and we have these masks that keep us from connecting to him. And we vaguely see God through the cling wrap. But the reality is the disconnect between us and God has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with us. And God sits across the table from us saying, I, I, 
I want to connect with you. I, I want to hear you. I want to talk to you. But you, you got all this stuff. Can you do me a favor? Put it on the table. Let's hang out. And we have this invitation to get rid of the barriers, to get rid of the baggage, to get rid of the things that separate us. And I think that there are some barriers that many of us don't even know that we carry. And God, we don't know we carry it until God has revealed those things to us. And, and maybe it's those glasses you don't know you're wearing until you take them off. And do you ever have those moments where you say, wow, I see things so much clearer now. And I truly believe that our time with God as we invest in getting rid of what's between us because the baggage on our side is what disconnects. When we can do that, there's an invitation that God has to eliminate this but it's going to take some work. And I don't know about you, but I want the type of freedom where I can sit across the table from God with all of my stuff out there, not to receive the shame and the guilt that he's got for me, but to say, I, I got that covered, let's chat. And to sit at the table with Jesus. But we're gonna have to deal with this stuff. And last week, we talked about the fact that while we went into Isaiah chapter 6, if you remember, and talked about the holiness of God. And in the holiness of God, Isaiah has this vision, right? And when he understands who God is, he says something very, very unique. Do you remember what it was? It was in verse 5, and it says this. It says, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man, and I have filthy lips. I live among a people with filthy lips. You see, Isaiah realizes there's a barrier. He's got a, he's got a word problem, which we know is a heart problem because it's out of the overflow of our heart that our mouth speaks, right? And so he's got a word problem, the heart problem. And instead of saying, here's my problem, he, you know, he, he goes, I'm supposed to be done. I, I cannot be in your presence. And instead of God destroying him and, and casting him out because he cannot be in the presence of sin, God sends one of those seraphim, those creatures to pull a coal off the altar, touch his lips, and he provides the forgiveness to be able to sit at the table with Isaiah and say, I have something for you that you couldn't have heard before. An encouragement, a word for you that you wouldn't have been able to understand because there was a barrier between us. He doesn't shame him for those things. He says, that's taken care of, now let's move on. Isaiah's experience changes with God when sin is confessed and it's removed. And I believe the same is true for you and I, that our connection with God can change when we confess our sin and we ask for forgiveness. So the question that we have to really ask is, where do we start in that process though? And the one word that I wanna focus in more than anything else today is the word repentance. Repentance. Now, last November, near the end of November in 2020, we were going through a series called Pathways and we unpacked a topic called confession. The step we take on the Jesus path of getting rid of the sin in our life with Jesus and with people. Now, this idea of confession, if you wanna go back and listen to that, it's a great starting point for this conversation. You could jump on YouTube and it's right on Crossbridge Online. All those messages are right there. Make sure you subscribe while you're there so that you don't miss any of the content that continues to come out. But the idea of repentance is going to be different than the idea of confession. So if you were with us then and you're thinking, oh, I know what he's gonna say. 
I need to tell you that I've wrestled hard with this and it's different for us. Repentance isn't really a word that you and I use. Right? We, we read about it all the time in the Bible and as we're reading through Acts, people repented all the time and we're like, all right, cool, that, that, that's, they said something, right? They, they admitted they were wrong. That's confession. Repentance is actually a little different and I love the way that Eugene Peterson, uh, he, he kind of sums up repentance this way. You don't repent by taking a deep breath and then feel better. You only repent when you turn around and go back or toward God. It doesn't make any difference how you feel. You can have the feeling or you don't have to have the feeling. What's essential is that you do something. The call to repentance is not a call to feel the remorse of your sins. It's a call to turn around so that God can do something about them. Repentance is a gift from God. If we're sitting at the table just recognizing, I have earphones and I have a mask and I've got goggles, that's just self-awareness. What repentance is, is saying, I have to take these things off if I'm going to connect with you. I recognize that there's something blocking and I'm choosing to do something about it. It's an invitation to put Christ at the center of our life again and say, I've not had things correct in my life. I'm looking at what doesn't match up with the life of Jesus and rethinking about how that looks. So to help you see maybe some steps that we could take together as a church, which we love to do, here's some steps you could take, is I would love to look at the, the book of Revelation together to unpack very quickly some letters that Jesus wrote to the churches and kind of get an idea of how do we start with figuring out what do we need to repent from? What, what do we need to turn from? Because that can be really hard. I'm sure you and I can pick behaviors, but that doesn't change our heart. So what questions can we ask ourselves looking at scripture to help reveal sin masks and goggles and earphones that we can repent from. And my hope is that as we look at some of these, that you would maybe, the Lord would reveal some of the cling wrap that we keep in between each other that we don't even know exists that's keeping us separate. Now, before you panic about us going into Revelation, uh, let me just tell you something really, really cool about this. This is the only book in the entire Bible that has a blessing built into it. Right up front, if you choose to read the book of Revelation, you will be blessed. How cool is that? If you look at verse three of chapter one, it says, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. I don't know about you today, but jumping into Revelation makes me nervous, but I wanna be blessed. So we are going to be reading it out loud together. We're gonna to be commenting on things. It may not feel like a blessing, but I promise you this, I don't even have to promise you, God promises you, Revelation 1-3, that it is a blessing. And so are you ready to be blessed today, Crossbridge? Are you ready to be blessed today from those who are joining us? Maybe that you're not part of this family, but you're like, they told me to listen, so I'm doing it. There's a blessing for you in this today. And if it's gonna start anywhere, it starts in verse five and it simply says this. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He made us a kingdom of priests for God the Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. 
before we dive into repentance, we have to understand that whatever is revealed is not meant to shame us or guilt us. If that happens, it's from the enemy because we know here that right after we're told this is a blessing, it's a blessing because Jesus loves us so much that he chose to die for our sins and shed his blood to say whatever the barriers are, I'm big enough and my blood is, is forgivable, so forgivable to cover all of that. So if you start to feel this feeling as we go through this, it's not guilt, it's not shame. That is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the word I wanna use with you is this is conviction of areas that don't line up with Jesus. And the message as we go through this is not designed to be a hammer that comes down on you, but an invitation to put your garbage out on the table. So we're going to go one chapter over into chapter two. And in the first, in chapter two and chapter three, John, the receiver of this prophecy, is told by Jesus to send seven very specific letters to seven geographical areas, seven specific churches that all existed around that area. And so these words that we are reading are the very words of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God to these churches, these gathering of disciples of Jesus together. And the question that we're asking is what is it that we can pull from this that will help reveal what we need to repent from? Some of the letters have some really encouraging things in them, but five out of the seven do not. So we're gonna dive into these now. Revelation chapter two, we're going to kick off with the church in Ephesus, you ready? the church in Ephesus, verses 4 and 5. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Now, this church in Ephesus is a power house church. I mean, one of the most unbelievably influential churches of the time. And the issue that we see here in verses four and five standing between this church and this lampstand simply is another um, way of saying the, the light of a church that it should be. And the issue that this church has, that Jesus is saying to them, you need to get this under control, is simply the fact that they have fallen away from keeping Christ at the center, that they have lost their love. And, and the real issue that we have here is something else has taken the place of Christ as the most important thing in the church. When something in our life takes the place of Christ, when that center of our life is no longer the holiness of God and it's anything else, anything else that's at the center is an idol that we look to and we hope and we build our life around that and it gets our attention, our worship, our praise. And unfortunately, most of the time, I think it's ourselves, but that's a message for another time. And the church in Ephesus who had Christ at the center, who changed the landscape of Jesus's ministry in their area, Jesus says, you've lost it. When it comes to our connection with God, if I look at this, 
the question that you and I should probably be asking ourselves when it comes to repentance is what or who is at the center of my life? If, if it's not Jesus, we need to name it and then do something about it. That's the call, isn't it? Repentance isn't just being like, yeah, I know. No, it's now I'm doing something about it. Jesus tells this church as a whole that they've lost Jesus as a center. So we can individually ask that question, but we also, as a family, here at Crossbridge, need to ask that question, what or who is the center of our church? Is it, is it the Jesus of Scripture that we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, and Revelation, and all the, the things that we know from what Paul wrote? And, and is, it, is it this? Or is it something else? Because if it is anything else, Crossbridge, we need to repent and do something to make sure that Christ is our center. Repentance isn't just personal. It's collective as well. We need to be asking these questions together. All right, let's move on to Smyrna. Smyrna's our second church here. And uh, the cool thing about Smyrna is it's the fastest church that we're going to go through because they're all clear. Jesus doesn't give them any reprimand or thing that they need to repent on. It's an unbelievably encouraging letter. Read it after service today and be blessed by Jesus's words to this church. Let's go down to Pergamum. Pergamum is our third church. And Jesus' call to this church and the thing that they need to repent from is found in verses uh, 14 to 16. It says this, But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate, go ahead in your Bible, circle that word tolerate. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicoletians among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. I know that there's a lot of names in that little rebuke that you probably have no idea who they are, but please be clear, the readers of this letter would have known exactly what John's talking about here, exactly who Jesus is referencing in this rebuke. The first thing that they are rebuked of is that they tolerated false teachers, that they knew the Bible in Pergamum, they understood scripture, but they were okay with teachers distorting it to fit the needs of the people in the church. The names that Jesus mentions here are all false teachers. When he, he mentions Balaam, if you go back into the Old Testament, into the book of Numbers, which we haven't soaked yet, so if you're like, I, I don't know that story, that's okay. It's in uh, uh, chapters 22 to 25. What you have is a prophet who stands up and leads the nation of Israel into sin because He's leading them into sin because he's making bank and he's getting power. He's taking the very commandments of God and twisting them because it's benefiting him and the nation. They know the difference, but they don't care because these teachings are easier. And so who, which, which path do we take? 
we take the path of least resistance. And so they didn't want to hear the true scriptures. They wanted to hear what was distorted that, that tickled their ears and that made them comfortable. And that's what they did. People loved it. They followed him. And Jesus commands a Pergamum. You cannot tolerate false teaching. You should know scripture and not let that happen. You need to call that out. And calling it out means you're celebrating all this sexual sin all over your city. You're letting people and telling them they could do whatever they want to do with one of the most beautifully crafted sacred gifts that God's given us for our marriages to celebrate intimacy and connection and beauty. We read it in Song of Solomon at the end of the year. It was awesome, wasn't it? This is a gift from God and he, you've basically said you could do whatever you want to do with it. That's not the Jesus way. That is not the biblical call to our sexual identity and integrity. And so we then have to begin to ask the questions for repentance personally. First, where have I tolerated false teaching or leaned in to false teachers because it was just easier. I liked that a little better and it made me happier. I don't like when Jimmy gets all, uh. And when have I compromised in my own life with sexual sin and not taken the Bible, all 66 books of it at its word as God's authoritative call and voice in my life and when I've compromised and I'm compromising currently. We need to ask this question right now as a nation. With all that went down this week, it's easy to say, well, they did this and they did that, but where have we as a nation not leaned into what the Bible really has to say and listen to those false teachers? Because did you see the rebuke at the end of this? If we don't call out those false teachers based on scripture, do you know who's going to? It tells us that Jesus is ready with the sword coming out of his mouth to fight. Jesus is gonna fight over scripture. Let's go to church four. This is the church of Thyatira. And uh, you're gonna see some of um, these rebukes kind of overlap a little bit. This is one of them. Uh, verses 20 and 21, it says this. But I have this complaint against you. You're permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she doesn't want to turn away from her immorality. Here again, we find a little bit of overlap. We have false teaching, we have idol worship uh, and sexual sin like we've covered, but here's what's different about the church in Thyatira is they tolerated sin. They tolerated sin. And when members of this church began to stand strong, they felt that conviction of the last chapter in their life and they started to stand strong on biblical values and biblical truths. It began to divide the church. And those who wanted things their way, that it was simpler with these false teachings, only messages of tolerance or maybe indulgence, no mention of sin or conviction in those types of teachings, those who loved that started to create a disunity into the church. They started to say, your strictness to the Bible 
is overbearing there's no freedom in that that you should be able to do all the things that you wanted to do and the church began to split Jesus will not stand for disunity in his church for those who choose to follow him we need to learn to love each other to call out sin to not allow things to get into between us and in this letter he reminds the believers here a little later he says just so you know I search all thoughts I know your heart and so you may be trying to say well it's not that big of a deal but you're just trying to placate yourself because it is and you know it's sin but you don't want to admit it when it comes to repentance here our questions are actually I believe a little tougher than almost anything else am I committed to believe what the Bible actually says is truth for my life do I believe that this is God's authoritative truth and maybe a good one is am I standing up for biblical values or just ones that make me feel better if you really want to get introspective am I creating disunity in the church and where is it now I please hear me on this I, I don't think this means we all have to have the same opinions um, opinions are great but there are certain biblical truths that we cannot afford to be divided on and it makes me personally have to ask the question is what I'm about to get in an argument over or is what I'm about to get in a conversation or fight over a biblical truth or a biblical opinion because sometimes I will be candid I I make the mistake of thinking my opinions are truths and I need to tell you at Crossbridge and confess that and say I'm sorry if I have said things that are my opinion that um, I've assumed are truths I am still working on this area of my life and I'm thankful for your grace I'm thankful for your forgiveness but most of all I'm thankful that God is constantly teaching me more and more and more uh, through the Bible that that uh, there's oftentimes I need to repent of my opinions because my opinions have changed and I see scripture a little bit differently and my biblical opinions have changed but the truth of scripture does not opinions change truth doesn't Just don't get divided over opinions let's go to Sardis okay church number five Sardis um, chapter three is where we're gonna go and we're gonna be in verses one to three these are some real strong words you ready this is what it says I know all the things that you do and that you have a reputation for being alive but you are dead wake up strengthen what little remains for even what is left is almost dead I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God go back to what you heard and you believed at first hold to it firmly repent and turn to me again and if you don't wake up I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief you know this church just got sleepy that's the message of Sardis right here it's almost like Ephesus right Jesus is telling them you got to get back to this first love what you knew to be true when you first came to trust in me this is what I want but here's the kicker for Sardis Sardis is as they see that everyone around them or everyone around Sardis sees that they are this crazy healthy church people think that you're alive everything on the outside says 
We're growing, we're expanding, we're alive. But Jesus is like, man, I can look at the heart of that church and you are almost dead. You're barely beating, you're barely alive. But they're dead because they're not really doing anything with their faith. The church is filled with a bunch of believers who have become lazy in their faith. Almost like they've enjoyed all this good teaching. And now, like Thanksgiving, it's time for a nap. Let's put on the gladiators and take our nap, right? We, we've eaten really, really good of the word that pastor brought. Now I can, I, can, I can move on to what's next today. Jesus is clear to them here. It's that your actions better match your words. Repent and do something with your faith. This rocks me to the core when I read this because I have to ask myself the hard question of how many people in the church, and I'm scared to think about this, how many people in the church today would profess a faith in Jesus but do absolutely nothing with their faith and look and live nothing like the Jesus we read about? I wonder, do, do, do people who say they trust in Jesus, do, do they read their Bibles? Am I reading my Bible? Do they spend time in prayer like Jesus did? Am I praying? Do they, do they give generously or are they stingy with what they have? Do, do they find themselves in community and in the need of support of others or are they running alone? Do they actually love people? How many Christians do we know that look nothing like Jesus? This is the church of Sardis. And the repentance question we can ask here is, is my faith dead? Why am I doing all of this? To check a box? Or because this has changed my life and I want it to change others? And the question I am asking myself even now is, what areas in my life have I fallen asleep to? Where have I given up? And said, that's just, I don't have it. We need to repent of those areas. And in the words of Jesus, wake up. It's time to wake up, church. The world needs us alive if we're going to love them, not asleep on our couches. I'm sorry, it's a message for another day. Church six, Philadelphia another uplifting letter. Go across the bridge, read Philadelphia in Philadelphia. It's kind of cool, but it's a blessing. They needed this blessing. Philadelphia needs us to bless them, but let's go to church seven, our final church, the church of Laodicea. Um, this is very simply a one-line rebuke that's found in verse 19 of Revelation chapter three, and it says, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. This statement led into Jesus telling them at as a church, um, they were neither hot nor cold. Many of you are familiar with the term lukewarm, meaning that like it's just, 
It's water that's been sitting out on the counter overnight and you're thinking, what do I use it for? That's how this church was, that they were not useful for anything. Um, they had settled so much into their faith because this church was self-sufficient. They, they, they didn't need to do much. There's no persecution in this area. They didn't need money because they were rolling in it. They didn't depend on God for anything. So indifference settled in to, G, to their relationship with Jesus and the injustices of the area that surrounded them. While they were wealthy, they were surrounded by poverty and need and they just didn't care. They became indifferent to the calling of their faith. That was sin that needed to be repented of and they needed to do something about it. And for us, that question in Laodicea is, where have we become self-sufficient and comfortable? Where have I stopped relying on you, God? Where have I stopped caring for injustice? I don't think it's the nation's jobs to solve the problem that we're seeing. And to be honest, I don't, I don't think they're created to and designed to solve all the problems. I wonder if the church as a whole has settled into some very unhealthy rhythms and these churches have fallen into, like us today, we don't wanna hear the cries of the poor the injustice, the widows and the orphans. We want to be blind to all the things that surround us. And as church, big C church, we have fallen asleep. And we're so quick to say it's their job to fix it, their job to fix it. We've lost our first love. We've compromised the truth of the Bible and we've tolerated sin. We have divided churches over opinions instead of truths. We've become okay and celebrating a lukewarm faith instead of celebrating those who actually live it out, instead of calling them, you know, radicals or Jesus freaks or one of those types of people, we're like, ah, lukewarm is better. It's safer. We've settled on safety instead of risk and courage and we've become comfortable in our wealth and therefore we have lost our voice to speak up. We keep wondering where God is and why he won't answer us and as individuals, as church, as a nation, I just wonder if we paused long enough to ask these questions just for a moment, how much unconfessed baggage we carry. That we've lost our reputation to the world. To South Jersey, to wherever you're living, to your street, to your neighbor, maybe even your family, because you say you love Jesus, but you look nothing like him. Whatever it is that is separating you from Jesus right now, it is time, it is time to put it on the table before God and say, I've blamed you for not communing with me and I've never recognized that I've been the one with the issues. And when I lay it out before you, you see it and you still love me, but I gotta do something about it. My worry for today as we close is simply this. Um, there are some weeks that I repent that I wasn't strong enough on a message when I should have been. And there's other weeks I repent that I feel like I yelled at you or our church and I reprimanded us and I wasn't strong enough or too strong. I just, I, I never know sometimes how things like this are gonna, kind of going to come across. But what I love the most about today is it's not up to me to figure that out, that out with you. It's for you to journey 
with Jesus in. And if you find yourself as part of Crossbridge, you know that we will always aim to be unashamedly biblical. So if this made you uncomfortable, I'm really okay with that because I would rather not get a letter like this from Jesus. I want a Philadelphia letter, not a Laodicea letter. I want to be encouraged because we were the church that laid it all out there and went after Jesus with everything that we had as our center, not an idol, as our center. And then those who are like, that's too much. There's plenty of churches out there for you. At Crossbridge, we're going after Jesus and this is how we take week two of our 40 days of prayer is in repentance. I want you to figure out those unresolved barriers with Jesus so that you and I could be free to connect with God at any moment and to be heard and to hear the voice of our Creator. With that in mind, I wanna ask you to stand today at your couches, tables, wherever you are as we close our service today with the same prayer of blessing that we did last week found in Ephesians chapter three, verses 16 to 21. It simply says this, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him, that your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to fully understand, and then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through His mighty power at work within us, to accomplish indefinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Crossbridge, I love you, miss you, and I can't wait to be with you again. God bless.